right. Well, I never want to stop fellowship, so I'm going to let you. I almost sat down with Susan up here. I was going to let you guys keep going. But tonight, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. It'll be chapter 31. And tonight's the title to the teaching is called God's Call to Service. You know, God has been very carefully giving all the details about worship and service. He spelled out everything to uh, Moses, everything that was going on. He spelled it out. He left nothing to chance. Every detail right down to the anointing oil and the incense. And what that tells us is our worship and our service to God must be purposeful, meaningful, and never casual. So as we get into that tonight, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Exodus 31. I just want to welcome everybody here tonight and everybody listening on our podcast channel. You know, God has described at some length and with very specific details everything for this awesome place of worship that he's designed for his people. You know, he's pointing throughout all of these, this entire section of Scripture is pointing right to that. And the first point I want to make to you is this, that God intends to meet his people's needs. That's what he's talking about. It's about the presence of God. He intends to meet them in this place. And now he tells Moses that he's already prepared two men to handle and supervise the building of this tabernacle and all these furnishings that they have. And what we're going to see tonight is we're going to see in this chapter a move from priestly ministry to practical ministry. And that practical ministry that we're going to see tonight involves each and every one of us because we do practical ministry, don't we? It matters to God practical ministry just as much as it does the priestly ministry. So if you have your Bibles, let's open the chapter, Exodus chapter 31. And just to let you know, normally I've been teaching out of the NIV. I'm in, in, in an NLT version tonight. I've changed it up a little bit. So here we go. It says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God and given him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Now, it's interesting because God has chosen Bezel. He's actually taken him and he's saying, this is the man that's in charge. I'm putting him in charge. He has the, uh, the responsibility of oversight of this project. And it's interesting his name, Bezel, it means in the shadow of or the protection of God. So he has this protection of God. And God personally anointed him and appointed him to do this. And God will appoint us to do certain things. He's given his authority, and he's qualifying him for service. And I think it's interesting because I think when you say that God's saying, I'm putting this person here, it removes all the tendencies of jealousy, of someone being 
definitely thinking that they're discontent or that they're more qualified to do this than someone else and that they were just overlooked. Remember what happened in Matthew 8, 18? When they were jockeying for position? Jesus, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest of all? And then they even got their mom involved in it? I mean... So I think that this is the reason that God is saying, look, I'm appointing them. So there's no question about what's going to happen. People are always jockeying for position, aren't they? No matter where it is in the church, in the workplace, people are jockeying for position. And we see this anointing on him, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the earliest references to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is an expression of divine empowerment for the activities. And what this is, is it's the divine empowerment that we can't do things on our own. It's something that's beyond the normal. Have you ever done that? Where you've done something like, well, I couldn't have done that on my own. But the Holy Spirit empowered you, and he was able to help you get through that. God supernaturally enabled Zell to do this work. And it says he was from the tribe of Judah, and it's interesting that he's the grandson of Hur. Now Hur, if you remember, Hur along with Aaron, you remember what they did? What did they do? They're the ones that found the stone for Moses to sit on and then help raise his arms. So it's interesting that the service, God sees that service. Now he's moving on to Bazel with this. It's in Exodus 17 that you see that account of Scripture of what they did. Now Bazel had acquired skills from Egypt. He had great knowledge and he was very useful in what he was going to do. But he was living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's us today. Do we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us in the things that we do? Or do we do things on our own? So many times we do things on our own and we say, God, I got this. Anybody ever do that? How's that, how's that working for you? Right? God wants to empower us, and we need to live that life of that, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be anointed by God through the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit to, to fulfill these practical tasks at the tabernacle and for us to fulfill the task of each and every day life. God chooses each and every one of us specifically for service. And he has a special task for each and every one of us to accomplish. And he always raises up capable people to do that. You've heard it said, where God guides, he provides. He will provide you with what you need in that service. When we think we can't do it, and how many times do we think we can't do things? I think a lot of times I can't do things. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to say, Craig, it's not you, it's me. Rely on me, don't rely on yourself. Point to the cross. Everything points to Jesus because Jesus is the power 
through the Holy Spirit that we have, the anointing we have to do things. It's not doing it on our own. And God sees each and every one of our works, our spiritual works, just as important as he saw the priestly works. Just as important as the works that Moses did are each and every one of our works that we do now. But we need to do this. We need to be dependent and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So many times we try to do it on our own, and we can't. We have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to move in a mighty way. Now let's get back to our scripture. In verse 4, it says this. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. Wow. How many times have you heard that? They say, he's a master at every craft. What's the saying? What is it? Somebody help me. Jet. There you go. We have those all around, don't we? Jack of all, but master of none. But this was a master of all because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he has certain responsibilities, this gold and this silver and this stonework that he was going to do. God's anointing for this practical ministry, giving him wisdom is just as important as it was for the priestly ministry. And we have to remember that, that the ministries that we do, the service that we do to the Lord is just as important. And we have to look at that. What gifts and abilities has God given each one of you? Are you using those for his glory? Are you using your gifts and your anointing for the glory of God? And Romans 12 is about humble service to Christ. And I just want to read this to you. Romans 12, 4, and it says this. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. There's many parts of the body. And each one of you each one of us matters to God in what we do, our anointing. And God was anointing Bazel to do this work. Moses was probably the most fittest person to rule and govern, but Bazel was the one that was fitted to serve at the tabernacle, to build it. He was the one that was skilled and he was ready and empowered by God to do his work for his glory, not on his own. I know personally myself, and you might have served alongside of me when I do this, if I try to do something in my strength in that, I fail. And we a lot of times were like, Lord, just take it from me. And fill me with your spirit so that I can do the work that you've put in front of me. That I can serve you and I can do it with glory. Look at my flaws. You know we're flawed people and he knows that. He went to the cross for each and every one of us. 
He died for our flaws. He knows them. He, nothing sneaks up on God. Everything sneaks up on us. He already knows all this. But we have to make sure that we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and us not stop Him. When the Holy Spirit wants to work through us, we allow Him to work and we allow him to do what he wants. It's the Father's will. Remember when Jesus was in the garden? What did he do? He wanted this. He said, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. But he didn't. And so your will be done. And that's what we are now. We need to say, Lord, your will be done in our lives. I'm a flawed person. We're sinful people but God uses each and every one of us. He takes our mess and he turns it into a message for the world to show who he is and what he's done for each and every one of us. And then in verse 6 it says, And I have personally appointed Oliab, son of Ashmach, of the tribe of Dan, to be an assistant. Moreover, I have given him special skills to all the gifting craftsmen so that they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. Now, we know very little about these two guys. We really don't know anything about him. But what we do know is that God personally selected them. Wouldn't that be nice if you heard that? God personally selected, but he did. He's personally chosen each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, God has personally chose. And he's chosen and he's given us unique giftings that we can use for the service of God. And he's using these two men, their unique giftings, to fabricate a place of worship. God commanded remarkable things. But when God commands remarkable things, he also provides remarkable giftings so that you can carry those out. God wants us to be blessed and move in our giftings from the Holy Spirit. This saying comes from Augustine. Augustine prayed this and he said this, Our Lord gives us, give us what you command and command what you will. God will give us what we need when we need it. God gives us all these gifts, but they're all different from God. Have you ever looked and wondered why your giftings are different than somebody else? I have. But God gives us each different gifts, but they all come from God. God dispenses his gifts. They're various gifts, and they're different to one another. And each one of us have a gifting, and we have to use it for God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it says, There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. God is working in each and every one of us. He's gifting us for service, each and every one of us. So we have to look at ourselves and say, oh, Lord, am I using my giftings? for you? Am I using them to advance the kingdom of God? The work 
and the advancement of the kingdom of God and the church is most often carried out by spirit-filled people that nobody even knows. There are people who are doing things behind the scenes that nobody even knows. They're little known, but God knows each and every one of them. He knows each and every one of us what we're doing and what we're going to do. Um, quick story. Have you ever listened to like a music artist? Have you gone to a concert? You know, and you're like, man, they are really good. And you get there and this concert, you're like, yeah, you know, it really didn't do anything for me. You ever done that? These people are like so technical. They know everything they're doing, but it didn't move you. You were unaffected. I've been there. And then at times I've been there and I've seen the opening act that just kind of like blew my mind. And it was like, wow, they were obviously inspired by God. They were inspired by God. And what that tells us is that these two men were obviously inspired by God when they were building in the desert. God was their inspiration, and God will use their gifts, and he'll use each and every one of your gifts in a way that glorify him as we're inspired by God. The point I'd like to make is this. God so often uses the quiet people to accomplish the important jobs and the works of his kingdom. There are people that you don't even know that are accomplishing so much for the kingdom of God. And I heard it said once that it said, who is the greatest? And they asked Jesus, who is the greatest? Who would it be the one that has done the most for the kingdom? And he would have said, you wouldn't know him. You wouldn't know him. Because God uses the quiet people. He fills them with his spirit and he moves through them. Now we're going to look at these items that were made by the craftsmen. In verse 7 it says this, The tabernacle, the ark of the covenant, the ark's covering, the place of atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstands, and all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offerings, with all its utensils, a wash basin with its stands, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments of Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. Verse 11, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense of the holy place. The craftsman must make everything as I have commanded. It's a lot of stuff, isn't it? A lot of different things there. God empowered them and energized them to be carpenters, tailors, and even perfume makers. That they're making this incense. But the thing was, is they had a foreman, Zell. But there's this other guy, Oliab. He was his assistant. We don't hear much about him. But there were others alongside that were serving with him. Just like us in practical ministry today, there's people that come alongside of us, that serve with us, that we don't even know sometimes. But we get to serve with them and we get to know them. But this man 
we didn't know at all. And this list was given to them. And he wanted this work. The reason he gave them this list is because he wanted it detailed. He wanted it organized and well-planned. He wanted nothing to be left out. He wanted his people to see a tangible evidence of his presence. And God wanted it done his way. And God determines how that's done. It's not by our terms. Do we want to do things our way? Who wants to do things our way, their way? We all, I, I'm my hands up. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. But I want to do things my way all the time. But it's not by our way. And we all can't be leaders, right? Sometimes we have to be that person that serves alongside of someone. You know, I heard a story. It was a famous conductor, and they were talking to him about his orchestra. And they asked him, they said, what's the hardest position to fill in the orchestra? And what he said was, first chair, second violin. First chair, second violin. And by the way, my granddaughter actually plays first chair, second violin. And I'm very proud of her. But he said, there's all kinds of people that want to play the violin. First chair, first violin. But it's hard to find someone who wants to be excellent at second violin, who wants to play harmony. There are so many people that want to be up front. And I've used this before. There's Johns, there's Pauls, and there are Ringos. The Ringos stay in the back. They keep the harmony moving all the time. They don't need to be up front. And for some, it's just as good to play mediocre first violin than it is to play harmony with everyone else. Rather than excel at second, they would rather do something else. But this was not so with Olahab. He was told he would be the assistant, and he was successful in that position. And this is an example for each and every one of us when it comes. We're not all leaders, but we all are followers. We all follow our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to put this point out there for you that God will uniquely power and use second fiddles for His glory. He'll use that second fiddle for His glory because we all can't be that first seat, all of us. And now He's going to give a strict command for the sanctification of the Sabbath. In verse 12, it says this, The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses, I tell the people of Israel, Be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. Now, God puts this in there, 
as he concludes talking to Moses and he's giving these special instructions about the Sabbath. And with God, there's nothing there by mistake, right? Nothing's by mistake or coincidence. He has this there for a reason. He's given these orders about the Sabbath because they're building this tabernacle. They're working and they're serving the Lord. But he's saying, look, during your service, do not forget to rest. And, I, and I'll confess because I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I don't take the Sabbath and I don't rest because I have stuff to do. I have stuff to do. It's important. And God's saying, hmm, not really. What's important is that you rest in me. That's what's important. Take the time to do that. The nature and the meaning of the Sabbath, it's a declaration that we honor God. And he teaches us the value of what that is to rest in him. It's important. But they were so eager in their construction, in their building, that they're like, hey, let's continue to move forward because this is what God wants. And God's cautioning them. He's saying, no, this isn't what I want. I want you to remember your time of rest. How many of us remember our time of rest? You don't have to answer this, but let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Are you resting? Are you taking that Sabbath? Be careful to keep that Sabbath as holy because it's holy for you. The Sabbath is this covenant, and that covenant is like a contract, and it's significant it an under, has an underlying purpose for each and every one of us to make us holy, to make us like Christ. He rested. God's rest is needed and it is observed. The emphasis on this is so necessary for each and every one of us because I know that we don't rest. I know I don't. But it's possible God wanted to remind them because of this building, this worship, this place of worship was so important. But sometimes when we start building things and we start getting into this construction, that we say, hey, Lord, you know what? I got this. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to start building and I'm going to start doing these things for you. And God's saying, whoa, hold on a minute, slow down. Slow down. It's not what we do for Jesus as much as it is what we do with him. And what we do with him is we rest. We obey the Sabbath. Because sometimes we get so busy in building and that we can have that brick and mortar. And what happens when we start building in that brick and mortar? Sometimes people get caught in that brick and mortar. Sometimes they get built right over because we have moved so fast that we have not rested in the Lord and observed Him and the rest that we have in Him. The point I like to make is don't get so busy with the house of worship that you get distracted from your worship and your rest. 
because that's so important. Have you ever heard of the book, Too Busy Not to Pray? It's a great book. Because when we're busy, what should we do? We should pray. You're so busy, you should be praying. Everything, bringing God into each and every situation of your life because I can't do it on my own. But I bring him in when I pray. I bring him into that situation and I find rest and comfort through him. And I can get through that. It's not as important, like I said, to look at what we do for him as what we do with him and we rest. You know one of the greatest examples of that in the Bible? The balance of worship and rest? Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary. Look, Lord, look what she's doing. I'm over here doing all this stuff. I'm working. And she's sitting at your feet. And what did he say? She's chosen the better place. She has chosen the better place because she is resting in me. And our service to the Lord must never take place of our actual worship and rest. That's why God's reminding them of this at this point. And I want to say this, and I want us to, I kind of want this to sink in. Never allow what we do for Jesus and our service to him be greater than what he's done for us. Because what he did for us compares to nothing that we can do for him. And we can do all things with him and through him, but he's not looking for us to do things for him. He's looking for us to do things with him, to rest with him. So never allow that to happen. In verse 15, it says this, You have six days each week for your ordinary work. I like that part because it's ordinary work. Anybody have ordinary work? Right? Or ordinary work. Okay, so just remember that. You guys can do ordinary work for six, six days. But on the seventh day, it must be a Sabbath day of complete rest. A holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Now, this, is, this part here is a little, we're under the new covenant now, right? Just remember that. We're under the new covenant. That's the old covenant. We're under the new covenant, so we're not going to be put to death if we don't rest on the Sabbath. But this was back for them. This was exclusive. Because remember, they had these magistrates that were watching them, and they were looking at them. They were taking this seriously. And they were demonstrating that we need to depend on God saying that you have to take this seriously. This rest has to be serious. We have to keep our eyes focused on what God has commanded us to do to be obedient. And it's very, very important for us to learn this. It's very important for us to learn what obedience is in our lives. And when it comes to God, we come to him his way, not our way. You know, this right here, the Word of God, this is not a buffet. 
we don't get to pick and choose what we want to do out of this. So many times people pick and choose. I like that scripture, but I don't like this one. I'm going to follow this one. I'm not going to follow that one. This is all God's word, inspired by him. Each and every word. And that's why he wants us to do that. One of the best stories in the Bible, I think, when it comes to this, when it comes to that, is in Acts 5, 1 through 11, Ananias and Sapphira. You guys are aware of that account? I probably don't need to go in that, but we know what happened in the end of that, right? God happened in the end of that. And we know that they died at the end of that because it was a stroke from heaven. If this spiritual truth of this lesson has not been learned, then mere ritual obedience has no value to God. There's no value into it if we just say, oh, we're going to do it. We have to actually live it out. We have to live out that obedience. And then verse 16 says this, the people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of a covenant with my people for Israel. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he stopped working and was refreshed. You know, it's interesting because he's gonna, he puts that in there. God puts that in there. The reason for the Sabbath was God worked six days, right? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and everything he did, he did in six days. And there's no greater example for us than God. He worked six days at his ordinary job. And then on the seventh day, he rested. The other great example in the Bible for us is very simply Jesus getting baptized. Did Jesus need to get baptized? He did not. But he did it as an example to each and every one of us as obedience. He was being obedient to the Father. It's that inward change that's in us that we show an outward to the people as we're being obedient to Christ. You know, if our Creator worked six days and He rested on the seventh, I think that's good enough for us, right? It's good enough for us that we need to conform to that. I remember a friend telling me once that they believed that um, they didn't need to go to church to worship God. And that's true. You can worship God wherever you want. You can worship them all the time. God anywhere and all the time. But Jesus did life with the 12 disciples. He did life with other people. And as Christ followers, our faith is not in isolation. We live in community with each other, doing life together. And when we do life together, we encourage each other to be obedient and follow Christ in the Sabbath. 
And it's important, I know that we're spending a little bit of time on this, but God wants it to be clear, I think, because he made it clear to me this week because he smacked me down and said, Craig, you're not observing it. How can you get up there in that pulpit and tell people about the Sabbath when you're not doing it? When you're not resting in me because you're busy. It humbled me. It humbled me. I even had some people talk to me about it. When's the last time you took some time off? When's the last time that you actually rested in the Lord? And it humbled me. Keeping that Sabbath is important for each and every one of us, that rest. It's important for our spiritual growth. The next point I like to make is, it is in being we become effective in doing. In being we become effective in doing. When we rest in Christ, we become effective. In verse 18, it says, When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. I think that's probably one of the most awesome things you can hear. It was written by the finger of God. Now Moses is delivering these tablets and God had promised these tablets, and now he's giving them to him. And he's sending Moses down to deliver them. He's saying, be careful and put them into the Ark of the Covenant. Now, have you ever heard people say, oh, that's, those rules, they're written in pencil, right? So if they're written in pencil, right? You can, we can erase pencil. We don't have to follow them, but these are... These are actually commandments that are written in stone. If they're written in stone, what does that mean? They can't be changed. We ha they're written in stone. Remember that next time when you say that. They're written in stone. Because so many times, like, uh, that, that rule there, that was written in pencil. We, we can erase that. We can, we can move on from that, can't we? But they're literally written in stone. And we have to make sure that we observe that. But these last words in this scripture are so awesome. God gave him the two stone tablets, and they were written by the fingers of God. There's no doubt who the author of this was. There's no doubt where these commandments came from. There's no doubt who's in it charge there's no doubt that god is sovereign he is on his throne always and for us to know that they're written in stone by the fingers of god god's testifying to us that they were written by his finger and it says this very simply if god can write these in stone and he gives us the heart of flesh, then by his spirit, which his finger, the finger of God, writes these fleshly tablets on our hearts. These tablets are written in stone in our hearts that we would follow. This is God's word for each and every one of us. It's not a suggestion. Have you ever thought about that? 
when God commands something, he's not saying, well, this is a suggestion. If you guys want to do it, like I said, this is not a buffet. We follow all of God's word. And we're not disobedient to it. And these cov- this covenant was on these two stones. And it probably was one stone was identical to the other. Because when you get a contract, right? Don't you usually get a copy of it? But God's saying, take both of those and put them in the ark. Both of them. Keep them together. The two tablets that were done and filled by the fingers of God. And we can learn a lot about how God dealt with our spiritual ancestors. This is especially true when he talks about our worship and our service to him. And when it comes to our rest, he spelled out every little thing for us. We have it right here. He spelled it all out for us. He left nothing to chance. You don't have to wonder what's going on. We don't have to guess because God tells us. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of it when we don't, when we don't know. This careful pattern that he's given all of us. Every detail right down to the anointing oil and the incense. The last point I'd like to make is our worship and our service for God must be purposeful, meaningful, and never casual. We should always be intentional for everything that we do for the Lord. Our acts of worship are never by accident. They're always intentional. We don't worship at this portable tabernacle anymore. We don't offer sacrifices of animals anymore. We live in a culture that's drastically different than what they did. And we have a new covenant in Christ. But our needs for worship and our preparation for service are no different than theirs were. Our need to spend time with the Lord and rest is no different from them. And nowhere in Scripture do the fingers of God appear more wonderful than when He employs compassion on people in their lives. When he put his, the fingers of God into the deaf man's ears and he hurt the blind man to see. There's nothing greater than that. And I want to encourage you tonight to rest in Christ. Don't let your service for Christ be greater than what he's done for each and every one of us. And he's telling us to rest for a reason. It's for our own good. God does everything for our good. In Romans 8, 28, right? He works everything for our good. Everything. These laws were given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we've all received grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And everything that we do should point to Jesus. And if we rest in Christ and people see that our service for Christ is not greater than what we do with him and rest, they will know that we're Christ followers and we're his disciples. Will you pray with me? Father, Thank you for the opportunity to come here tonight. Thank you for your son. Father, I, I just ask that 
for all of us that we would observe the Sabbath. And that Sabbath doesn't have to be a day of not working or it could just mean just a day of rest for a few hours, to take a nap, to enjoy being in your presence. Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us. We thank you for your son. Father, may our service to you never be greater than what your son has done for us. He has given us eternal life through the cross. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the fingers and the hand of God writing those tablets on our hearts so that we could spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.